time for employment rules and regulations to catch up with the burgeoning mass of independent workers in all parts of the economy. Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Managing Editor of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. Approximately 40 million people who can be counted among the independent workforce within the United States today. Yet those numbers aren't reflected in the way in which their activities are classified and regulated. Existing rules are 125 years old and create a one-size-fits-all approach to determining benefits, taxes, and the nature of work. That's the view of Gene Zeno, CEO of MBO Partners, who joins us today to talk about his firm's innovative proposal for recognizing the growing phenomenon of so-called gig work. The term encompasses the sharing economy, best exemplified by services such as Uber, Lyft, and Airbnb, but also describes millions more traditionally independent workers whose status with employers remains unclear. How do we distinguish between independent workers who are being exploited by employers and those entrepreneurs who prefer arm's-length relationships? Zeno will tell us about his idea for a certified self-employed system which would treat workers fairly while unleashing the potential of the entrepreneurial spirit. It's an important step toward recognizing the nature of the new economy. So here is my conversation with Gene Zeno. Gene Zeno, welcome to the program. Thank you, Bob. appreciate the opportunity. What's the world of independent workers or the so-called gig economy looking like today? It's alive and thriving, and we're just about to release our sixth year of research on this, and it's consistently been a segment of the workforce that's growing with a very high degree of satisfaction, and in the United States, it's about 40 million people. So it's not just Uber that's doing this. I mean, that's the the, the high-profile one, the, the ride-sharing and Airbnb and, and stuff like that, but it seems to be much more extensive than that, correct? Yeah. You know, the funny thing, Bob, is that Uber and the on-demand economy and sharing economy has certainly gotten quite a bit of press and has put a spotlight on this segment of the workforce. But as of probably six months, eight months ago, the measurement of the entire sharing economy was about 3.2 million people which is under 10% of the entire independent workforce. So although it's significant and it's growing fast, it's a small fraction of the people that are out there really taking control of their career and building kind of a self-employed career as an independent worker. Okay, so our conversation today obviously ranges well beyond, as you say, the more high-profile aspect of independent workers, and that is the sharing economy, just independent workers in general, right? I mean, Correct. Yeah, okay. As you point out, I think, in some of your literature, the existence of this growing economy has outpaced regulation, taxation, and the way in which it's treated. And you folks at MBO Partners have a rather detailed proposal for bringing that part of it up to date to square with what we're actually seeing here. 
obviously we don't have time to go into detail about every aspect of a very complex proposal, but I'd like you to hit the high points for me and just basically tell me what is it you are proposing. The basic problem, I'll just state the problem first before we tell you the solution, is that the definition of an independent contractor versus an employee is very vague. In fact, it varies state by state, department by department, whether it's the Department of Labor or the Tax Collection or the State Unemployment or the IRS, the Department of Homeland Security, and they all have their own rules. And they're mostly related to what's called the economic realities test, which is how dependent are you as a company on that worker or how dependent is that worker on the company. And there's all kinds of case law and it becomes very complicated and very ambiguous, which creates all this discussion. And certainly Uber, again, has been in the spotlight because all these drivers, are they employees or are they contractors, which is a, a debatable item. The problem we have is that our traditional system that supports workers in the United States really is about 125 years old. Before that, everybody was an independent worker. But post-World War II, there was this compact between large companies and workers that they're going to provide health care, they're going to provide Social Security. The government was happy because large companies are going to collect taxes. And we thrived uh, for quite a long time. Now, with this phenomenon of people wanting more control of their career, technology has certainly been a catalyst to make it easier for people to go off on their own. Global competition has made it difficult for companies to make long-term hiring decisions when they could go buy the results of a project and, and pay for for someone on a on a project-by-project basis. So all of that has created this rise of this independent workforce, and there's really not a good way to manage the benefits, the tax structure. And our government, unfortunately, does treat generally things as a one-size-fits-all. And the problem is, is that you have people that are in the workforce that are being abused, where they should be getting benefits and they should be taken care of. And because they're being treated as an independent contractor, their employee entitlements are are not being preserved. On the other hand, you've got more entrepreneurial independent workers that want to go out there and build their own career. They don't really want to be parented by their client as as an employee or an employer of them. They're willing to take control of their own benefits. They're willing to take control of their own destiny, and they actually see opportunity and satisfaction in doing that. So our proposal, which we call the Certified Self-Employed, is where individuals can professionalize the independent workforce. So they could take a test, just like getting your professional certification in any other profession, whether it's accounting, legal, doctors, architects. If you want to be an independent worker, There could be a professional course uh, that you could take to make sure you understand what it means to be a responsible employer of yourself. And, And then at that point, there's a safe harbor for your client. So as you go from client to client and project to project, your clients don't have to worry about the risk of being reclassified because one of the big issues is companies that use independent workers who are paying non-employees as providing work for them, the penalty goes to the company. 
So Uber, for instance, has been given very large penalties due to class action lawsuits and, and other things. And there's lots of companies. FedEx had a couple hundred million dollar uh, case against it based on its drivers uh, being considered employees as opposed to contractors, even though they were paying them as contractors. So the independent workers are actually at a disadvantage if their client is afraid to use them. And what our proposal does is say, for those people that don't feel that they need the protections of a traditional employee, that they will certify themselves and then their clients will be free and and have a peace of mind, if you will, to use them, which creates less friction in the process. And Would certification be mandated or could you voluntarily go without it and still be an independent worker in this economy? Good question. We have lots of laws right now that support exactly what you just said. We've been working for years where it's case law. So there's rules, there's behavioral tests, there's economic realities tests that it really comes down to, are you really taking on the responsibility of the work yourself or are you being controlled by your client slash employer? And there are rules about that today. So the answer to your question is it's, it's totally opt-in. And I think it needs to be opt-in because there are people that want to be employed. They, they want the employee rights. And companies should respect that where if they are using workers that are working for them under their control and those workers are economically dependent on that company, the laws today as they stand will consider them an employee. And the employer should bear the responsibilities that is law today. So I think that still stands. I'm just trying to say that there are the entrepreneurial people that don't want that, and they should be able to provide a exit from that ambiguity so that they could be more competitive and, and take care of themselves as an employee of themselves. On the other yeah. hand, is there something, though, about the entrepreneurial spirit, or at least some entrepreneurs, that would be opposed to what amounts to another form of regulation. In other words, they would say, I don't want to have to take a course. I don't want to have to be designated. I'm an independent. You know, I go right. wherever I want. So is that attitude likely to surface in at least a portion of that population? I'm sure it is, and I think you're right, Bob, but I think the, the, the dilemma is that our government needs to be funded for its taxes. And, and I think the big issue is if you're going to be an independent contractor, you need to be plugged into a system and a process that provides that you are taking care of your own Social Security, you're taking care of your own health care, and you are paying your taxes like everyone else in the country. And that would be part of this certification. So that I think is an important requirement. And I agree with you. There's going to be people that say, well, I don't want to do that because I want to have my own little world and I want to take my own uh, little company and pay taxes when I want to pay them. And that's the problem. And that's why there's so much of the regulatory enforcement because of there is no system that really manages the independent worker. 
And this would basically build an entire industry to help support independent workers, which is actually starting anyway. There, there are more and more companies and tools being built that allow people to, to launch quickly a startup of a one-person company. And by the way, a lot of these one-person companies go on to be larger companies, which is very good for our economy. So I think we should embrace this segment of the workforce and enable it. And that entrepreneurial segment of that workforce that doesn't want to be the employee of their client is really, I think, an important segment of economic growth for our country. And I think uh, they would embrace a certification. Do you see a need for a concurrent change in the tax code that might, in its current manifestation, uh, be a disadvantage for an independent worker? I'm thinking of self-employment taxes and stuff like that. Or do you think that the tax code as it now exists is, is, is fair with respect to the independent worker? Well, no, I don't think the tax code is fair in general. But see, that's a really heavy lift. I tried to do something here, Bob, that was practical. I've spent time talking to a lot of people that are, have ideas about what do we do with this new workforce. And it's very complex. And again, every state has their own rules. And Department of Labor has separate rules from the IRS. And so if you start really digging too deep into what needs to be changed, it'll take a decade. And, and even then, you probably won't come up with the right answer. And my concern is we're in a global economy and work is more and more becoming digital, right? And de delivered digitally. If we don't fix this problem within our country, I think jobs will find other places to go. And it's pretty important that we have a solution that happens soon. So although I think there's lots of opportunity to improve the tax code, what our proposal is, is simple. Just become a W-2 employee of your own company. Create a company, pay yourself as a W-2 employee, give yourself health care, apply all the rules that exist today for a large company, apply it to the one-person company, but make it easy by providing them the technologies and the access to services and benefits that allow them to take control of themselves and be an employer of themselves and a responsible employer that's a tax-paying employer of themselves. So self-employment tax is nothing more than what employers pay today on this Social Security and Medicare. They match the employee portion. As a self-employed person, you have to pay both sides. So those are things that you would have to agree to. That would then allow the safe harbor. So now clients don't have to worry about it. And if the Small Business Administration could administer this, it would be, um, I think, a win-win all around. You reference in your material here the the disadvantage or at least the potential of independent services being treated as commodity services. In, in other words, and in fact, I think you use the phrase the possibility of a race to the bottom in yes. terms of a price-oriented type environment. Do you believe that the CSE designation or aspects of your proposal would help to address that problem, or is that independent of what we're talking about here? So the way we tried to address that problem, Bob, is by putting a minimum threshold, and it was arbitrary. We said $50 an hour. So we think that Anyone that needs to be a certified self-employed should be above a certain minimum income level. And the reason for that is because those are, the, those are the people that can afford to take care of themselves. But if you don't put a floor on that as a minimum income level, what 
might happen and what will happen is companies will say, okay, the only way I'm going to give you a project is you go get certified. And therefore, now I'm going to pay you $2 an hour on commodity services. And I mean, what I mean by commodity services, these are more of a, the type of service that, you know, you're walking a dog or you're going picking up a package for logistics or you're driving an Uber car or, you know, you're doing things that are task rabbit, which, which is a sharing economy, which I think is great. But people should not be depending on that as their sole source of, of income without there being some type of protections, because I do think that would be a race to the bottom. I think marketplaces will drive costs down. And if you're providing a commodity service, there needs to be protections. And that's why we believe those exist today and they need to remain. And at least that's something that will take a lot heavier lift than what we're proposing to address. So the under $50 an hour independent contractor is probably going to still need to be managed by the current rules and regulations where their employers or their clients need to make sure that they're either truly independent or that if they are controlling them too heavily or too dependent on them, that they are entitled to the protections of the current rules, minimum wage, overtime, tax payments, and so forth. Do you see the CSE uh, designation, as you propose it, as being applicable equally to all industries and all types of labor? Yes, I do. With the minimum minimum floor in consideration. Yes, I I do. Again, our thought is one size does not fit all from a commodity versus non-commodity service level. And whether it's $40, $50, $60, or $30, that could be up for debate. But there is a point, just like there's a minimum wage today, there is a point where there needs to be a floor to protect the power of a marketplace that is marketing or or making available a commodity service that's not unique to a a skill or a person. Once you get to the to to the level of where you're providing a more specialized skill or something that's unique where you don't need a marketplace to necessarily blend in, you need a marketplace to maybe get yourself known, but it is your unique skills and, and, and your value that you're able to negotiate and, uh, and use the marketplace as an opportunity to build your business as opposed to a commodity service marketplace where they're setting the rates and they're telling you what to do and you have to abide by the services of that brand, of that marketplace brand, where if you're not a commodity service, it's really about you as a person and that is the one size doesn't fit all kind of dynamic that we're trying to identify and separate. Because the danger is if you have one system for both of those two types of people, we're going to lose. Now, I take it this proposal from MBO is fairly recent, kind of just, yes. just came out, just came out public. In that short time, have you assessed the reaction to it either in the employer or the potential employee community? The reaction so far has been quite positive. I think the points you just brought up have been brought up. What about the lower end of the workforce, uh, which I agree we did not really make a big effort to address, and mostly because I, I think those are, again, current laws kind of protect those people. As far as our main concern where we were looking to enable that entrepreneur is being very well received by both the workers who have you know, given us high fives, as well as, of course, the clients that want to get access to this innovative talent. We're talking about people that are highly skilled, 
people that are helping companies better, be more competitive, uh, innovate. The high talent people are the ones that tend to go off on their own to see the opportunity. And they also are the ones that really create jobs. So that's what we wanted to unleash. As far as the commodity service component of the independent workforce, that's still a debate. And I think that our approach is they probably could be payrolled through staffing companies like part-time workers. You know, most of the sharing economy people, like I mentioned, 80% of them are supplementing their full-time job. They're, they're not depending on the sharing economy for their work. Even Uber will tell you, I believe it's 11 hours is the average uh, number of hours an Uber driver works in a week. So we're not talking about people that are totally dependent on the sharing economy. And if we are, they really need the protections. So you see this as enabling U.S. competitiveness and U.S. worker productivity? Absolutely. For six years, we've done this research, Bob, and the satisfaction level of these people is in the high 70s, high 70%. And if you look at engagement and satisfaction levels of traditional employees, it's much lower than that. It's in the uh, high 30s and 30-something percent, uh, um, at least for the last few years. So you're talking about being more competitive in the marketplace because we have more fluidity in, in the jobs. We're talking about having people that are more engaged and in control of what they're doing and they're more passionate about what they're doing, which by default delivers a better service. And then from a supply chain point of view, which I think is of interest in your audience, it flattens out your supply chain where you're getting direct access to the talent as opposed to going through layers of intermediaries. So it definitely has the ability to make our workforce more competitive. But as you say, you're also talking about helping out that aspect of the independent workforce for which that choice is not necessarily a choice. In other words, these are people who might be independent workers because the employers demand that be the case. They're not necessarily the entrepreneurs out there doing this on their own, but it seems like you are. You do have those people in mind as well. Absolutely. And for those people that are in mind that are, are doing that where they're kind of forced into being independent or what we call the reluctant independence, they would not choose to be certified and their clients would not get a safe harbor. And the likelihood of them being reclassified as an employee would remain and their benefits that they should receive would remain. So we want the people that want to be independent to be independent without friction. That's kind of the goal here. Well, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out on a political scale, too, especially at the federal level, which seems to be the, the more workable aspect. You don't want, I imagine, 50 states with 50 different definitions of what a certified self-employed person is. But I think we'll keep an eye on this in the future and maybe check back with Eugene to see how what kind of reaction you're getting on a long term. But in the meantime, Gene Zeno of uh, MBO Partners, I want to thank you so much for sharing your time with us and explaining this very interesting proposal on a new way of approaching the whole independent and so-called gig, in some cases, economy. Thanks very much for being with us. My pleasure, Bob. Thank you. That was my conversation with Gene Zeno of MBO Partners talking about how to tap the potential of the nation's independent workforce. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter at SCBrain. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. 
Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. See you next time.